Hello everybody and welcome back to Blockchain Won't Save the World. We've got a really exciting show today. We've got Abai Kumar. He is the CEO of Helium Foundation. This is an OG project. Helium has been around for 10 years. Believe it or not, it is the collation of blockchain technology, IoT technology, and we're going to get to know a little bit more about it today. Abai, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on. That's my absolute pleasure. I'm going to break the fourth wall and say that this is the second recording of the show. This may be a surprise <laughs> to some of the listeners coming in on the podcast, but we have already done the show on LinkedIn Live. But because of some technical difficulties, this is the re-record. This is the re-up. So we get a second attempt to make some great content. Maybe we'll go to some of the same places. Maybe we'll go to some different places. Let's see. The listeners can go back and check the original LinkedIn Live video. They can listen to this and see which is the better version. Who knows? Are you ready for a rerun? Let's do it. I'm, I'm sorry that my headphones were absolute garbage last time. And uh, this time we, we are we are doing better. <laughs> it, it, it feels a little bit unfortunate on a show where we were talking about latency and bandwidth and connectivity, that the connectivity yeah. broke down on the show. It's serendipitous or it's ironic. I don't know. It's probably a combination of the two. At least I can say that Bluetooth is not one of the supportive protocols of the Helium network. So there um, you go. I, I hate to say it that way, but at least it's that. And for good reasons, clearly. So for those who don't know, for those who missed the first show, give us a little bit of a brief history of the Helium network. Because as I said, this network has been going, this technology has been running for 10 years. There have been some changes along the way, but give us the rundown for those who don't know. For sure. You know, Helium started off as uh, a lot of Silicon Valley tech startups start off. Um, you know, it started off uh, 10 years ago this year, if I remember correctly. Um, at, trying to build uh, a platform for IoT. Um, and so this is sort of everything they, they wanted to, the core team initially wanted to build a, uh, a sensor, a, a gateway so that the sensors can connect to the internet, um, a, a protocol between the sensor and the gateway, um, the sort of data plane behind it and the analytics engines and all the sort of pieces that you would need to build an application. Ultimately, you know, why is IoT important, useful, like, any of that is because you know you want some information from out in the world that can only really come from you know these small different sensors and, and many 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 of them all over the world. So that's uh, you know ultimately you know how the all of this started. Um, so venture back Silicon Valley company tried to build um, uh, tools in the IoT space. Uh, tried to build specifically focused on you know supply chain and, and cold chain monitoring. Um, you know, putting sensors in refrigerators at labs and, and at um, uh, large, you know, sort of walk-in fridge that, fridges that you might have at a restaurant um, and trying to provide uh, value to, to ultimately to a, to a use case. Um, and, you know, the thing that the, the team sort of realized was if you left the campus or wherever those gateways were deployed, you know, you lost coverage. And so, you know, rather than hunting for cellular signal access or for Wi-Fi access, SSID, you know, what's your SSID? What's my, what's your, you know, Wi-Fi password? Um, you know, they, they sort of tried to think about like, what are other ways, um, you know, you can have a deployment um, and then a sort of a, a network like this. Um, and I think that's, and the sort of, I think the key 
uh, innovation here is really about this concept of proof of coverage. And proof of coverage was this idea that you could verify that a gateway was in a location based on you know other gateways that are on the network, and you know guarantee that coverage was there. You know, effectively a economically driven SLA. Um, and uh, with that, uh, you could then you know, tr take that to a com company and they would be able to deploy sensors on this network and know that there would be coverage wherever this network sort of asserted that, the, that it was, verified that it was. And that's that's really the sort of evolution where we started to think about Helium as a, as a blockchain project. Um, the blockchain was really um, kind of a, a later uh, innovation and, and was sort of a, a thing that was necessary to enable this kind of permissionless network. Um, so that's, you know, fast forward all the way to 2018 when that was designed, 2019 was when the network was launched. Um, and then, you know, an IoT network was born. Um, in the last uh, now almost four years, uh, you know, we've seen this network expand to you know, over 70,000 cities all over the world, you know, hundreds of thousands of hotspots deployed and providing coverage for IoT devices. And then last year we um, expanded the network even further and added cellular as a new, as a new target and happy to dive into it, sort of what that means as well. Yeah, definitely. So what we're saying is that we're trying to extend the availability of connectivity to the internet. And there are, there are a number of different ways you can do that today, right? You can do that through having your own dedicated wi wireless connection, Wi-Fi connection from broadband or from connect directly connecting to a internet service provider. You can have satellite Wi-Fi. You can have an eccentric billionaire provide you with Wi-Fi on demand or connectivity on demand wherever you are in the world. But those sorts of solutions may not be suitable for certain types of use cases. Maybe they're too expensive. Maybe the coverage isn't particularly strong or it's too strong. You actually don't need that level of coverage. And so what Helium's designed to do is to provide that final mile or low cost, high coverage model where maybe you don't need the fastest performance, but you still are able to get reach in a decentralized way. And that's where the blockchain part of this comes in, I guess, because you need to incentivize a network of participants who have connectivity but are prepared to share that's right i think you know incentivization and um sort of bootstrapping a marketplace is what helium as a whole uh, you know specifically but you know crypto as a whole and blockchains as a whole kind of enable um being able to do this in a permissionless way um is and, and sort of verifiable on a on a distributed ledger sort of way is i think really really uh is really key and it's it's a it's a need today um given that connectivity isn't sort of uh, uh, ubiquitous or affordable. You know, when you think about, um, you know, let's take the sensor use case out, out for a moment, think about the broadband use case. You know, I, I live in a large city in, San, in, in, in the United States, San Francisco, um, and even inside of San Francisco, connectivity isn't perfect, right? And, and of course, the, uh, the parts of the city that are um, underserved are often the, the parts that don't have as many customers that are willing to pay, you know, hundreds of dollars for broadband access. Um, the same problem exists for IoT. You know, if you have, if you want IoT connectivity, you're looking for very, very low power, long range sensors. That's what LoRaWAN, the, the underlying protocol is built for um, that, that Helium utilizes. Um, and that connectivity isn't evenly distributed all over the world. Um, at, at this point, I would, you know, argue that the Helium network is the sort of largest contiguous wireless network in the world. Um, and, you know, for certainly for IoT, like you can consider us almost as a macro network for the for the world. 
that's a, a bold claim, but I mean, you know, half a million, <laughs> half a million wallets or half a million connections later, 70,000 cities, that's not insignificant. And, you know, scaling a network like that is, I guess, also not an insignificant challenge, right? You've, you've got the, the, the promise of what you're enabling. You've clearly, there is abundance or there is a surplus of connectivity that people are prepared to offer to the world, but you also have to offer a commercial model that makes sense. You know, we've had Brave uh -huh. Browser and we've had other democratized services that that people will maybe make one or two cents ago for, for these sorts of models. And and the diehards or the fans or the people who really believe in the proposition will be there, but the mass will look at that and say, you know what, that, that's great, but that feels like a lot of hassle for a few cents a week or for, for whatever the equivalent reward is. What is the what is the requirements to scale a network like that? And how have you found success? I think there's a couple of different pieces there. I mean, I think, you know, certainly uh, when you think about growing a network and continuing to incentivize a network, um, first, you sort of need to understand what the level of effort is to, to deploy this kind of hardware, right? So, you know, a, a, a hotspot, certainly an IoT hotspot is, is, is fairly inexpensive and getting cheaper every day, um, you know, the hardware requirements have gone down quite a bit um, over the years. Initially, each one of our sort of the, the hotspots that were being produced and you know, the core team created like 10,000, the first 10,000 hotspots. After that, the sort of uh, the, the, the production of this moved to uh, about 40 different manufacturers. Um, and those manufacturers started producing the exact same hotspots um, for their, you know, their regions or, 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 you know, at scale. And I think that that was one of the sort of great unlocks, I think, um, in the sort of scale of the network. Certainly, we could have had a, a single team creating creating all the hotspots, and but then that team would have to be very, very good at supply chain, very, very good at local radio regulations. Um, but sort of sharing that with the community and sharing that with the community of of manufacturers in this case. I think was a was a really good unlock. Um, and then, you know, initially the each one of these hotspots was running um, a full blockchain node. Or we were running consensus on these things, and consensus on a on a node um, that might be behind uh, you know a NAT or a firewall or, or you know a terrible internet connection um, uh, definitely was a was a drag on the network at least early on. Um, we're fairly successful, I and mean, we got to tens of thousands of nodes um, all. Being eligible for for you know producing blocks on this on this network, um, at some point we sort of moved that as a as a community to you know to validators that were sitting in in infrastructure data center infrastructure, um, and then recently we moved to um, to Solana actually, and that I think was another unlock for us, you know, and that last change really allowed this network to spend more of its time on building wireless networks and and uh and rather than spending our time on you know things like block production or transaction validation processing you know implementing a smart contract frame, frame, framework none of those things you know were needed anymore you know once we were using a better uh you know already purpose-built l1 for that nice and we're definitely going to get onto that because blockchain migrations are not something that happen every day and for those people listening in mm -hmm. this is one of the really interesting parts of the conversation we had before so we're going to come back to it for sure but before oh. we get there, I'd love us to contextualize a little bit. We've talked about the infrastructure. We've talked about providing extension of a wireless network, democratizing access to it in maybe a lower performance, lower cost kind of way so that we can extend out more use cases, more examples. Let's talk about some of those things. So give us some examples of some of your, I know you're not allowed to have favorites, but some of the <laughs> the most relatable or the most obvious examples of how Helium is being used today and, and what type of applications make use of the network. 
for sure and i i forget what we talked about when we were on live but I'll, I'll use my current favorites i guess and and i promise they're not really my favorites because there are so many um it's hard to it's hard to have a favorite child right <laughs> um so i think the the sort of major verticals that i'm interested in um at least for the network that we have today is one is tracking um tracking um you know of assets um can be there's there's sort of a variety of these um kind of use cases and one is a very simple, like put a sensor on a package and track where it goes. And this is something that, you know, if you're sending something over UPS or FedEx or or, or another sort of carrier, um, you get to know what dispatch city or or warehouse that it went to, but you don't necessarily know exactly where the package is. Um, you know, Amazon's starting to experiment with this a little bit. You can kind of see where their trucks are um, if they're going to drop it off on that day. Um, but you know, if you are sending a high value asset. Or, or you just want to know when, you know, maybe you're your parent and uh, you just want to know when the diapers are coming so that you can, you can make sure that you have the stock like at home, like it's, it is important to know where your assets are and where your, where, you know, where your packages are. Um, and that I think is a really great use case. There's this um, a company called NanoThings that created a sticker um, and it is really like a sort of, I forget the exact dimensions, it's, it's approximately like a three by five card. And that you can slap on the side of the box, um, and this thing has LoRaWAN um, connectivity, and uh, it's able to use the Helium network. Um, and I think you know, I've, I spoke to a, a company recently that um, built a, a you know sort of similar um, uh, function for themselves, which is uh, they wanted to be able to track very very expensive parts that they were sending um, uh, around the U.S. Uh, and they were using this kind of tracking use case as a as a supplement to you know already the, the fedex um, uh, status checks that they were able to get and and they were able to hand essentially their their customer that was receiving these like thousand dollar parts um a uh, a map that said you know here's where the actual item is live and that's i think pretty powerful that's um, super powerful just yesterday or the day before someone asked this question around container ships on twitter um so yeah this definitely wasn't in the linkedin live um, but I, I thought it was uh, it was great because it's something I've been thinking about for a while. Every single container world um, uh, tracker on it, um, and uh, you can know as it's entering a port. You know, here are all the containers that are coming in, and you know you can kind of unlock uh, port logistics based on something like this. And I think that's you know using sort of levels of attestation, right? This, the container being there, I think, is one level knowing each hotspot that saw it is another level so you have some additional location verification um and then on top of that you know human judges maybe scanning a, a, a qr code and then also you know transferring that over 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 the helium network because you don't necessarily need cellular connectivity in the bowels of a ship um, as long as there's sufficient helium coverage there um, and so that's uh i think a really really interesting use case of like using signature ag aggregation which is something that's you know being experimented on in other parts of uh, of blockchains um, for you know figuring out uh, the location of a physical asset and, and where it's sort of moving around. So I think that there's a there's a tremendous amount of opportunity in the tracking use case, and I'm using that as a very broad term now. Um, so that's one. Uh, happy to answer more questions there, but I, I have another favorite too. I think it's a really good one. I'll pause on it for a second because there's there's ports and port authorities like Port of Rotterdam that have been doing collaborations with Sea um, Freight companies mm -hmm. with technology companies that have been looking at specifically that how do we track a ship when it's at sea 
in that case, you're not using someone's home Wi-Fi to be able to track the device. You're going to have to use something a bit more sophisticated. But it might be that a network of multiple satellites or multiple devices is necessary for additional trust or additional triangulation. It might be that you may not trust that the the, the actual vessel itself is providing its own tracking because it has a vested interest in showing you that it's on time or late or whatever else it might be, right? There's there's all sorts that goes on. I mean, when a, when a Cape size bulk carrier vessel goes for $300,000 a day and just renting the vessel, the value at stake in some of these transactions or some of these movements is astronomical, unfathomable mm -hmm. in some cases. And so the opportunity for foul play or the opportunity for lack of transparency is there for sure. But again, I, I think, you know, extending that out the supply chain is not just the seaborne freight it's everything from end to end and so the ability to provide low cost high reliability tracking very very clear in a whole bunch of cases tell me about your other favorite i think my other favorites are around um and this is going to sound interesting it's around water management um and it's everything from you know very very basic simple things like knowing that there's a leak in your basement um, which is something that i experienced very recently as well um uh which would it would have been nice if i had known that my my basement had a you know there's a condensate pump and you know next to my furnace and and it would have been nice to have known that that thing was leaking uh you know even the day that it happened or maybe the day after it, it would have happened i think it would have reduced the amount of damage that i needed to, to mitigate so having these sort of sensors in the bowels of my house you know another place where wi-fi is not really very good uh, but plenty of LoRaWAN coverage down there. I tested actually after the fact. Um, you know, so like I almost feel uh, embarrassed that I didn't have a water leak sensor down there, given that I work in this space. Um, but it was like it was like one of those sort of moments um, that I sort of realized the sort of power of a network like this. And we already know of building managers and, and companies out there. Um, uh, there's a company called Naui Sensors that uh, actually provides us for buildings um, where, you know, this for me, it's just my house. In a building, you have you know, property managers that are that are thinking about risk and loss and repair uh, across several uh, apartments in, a, in an apartment building um, uh, that they primarily target like multifamily unit buildings. Um, I think that's a that's another really interesting use case for for something like Helium. Um, they've been building up a network for uh, almost since the beginning of the network, really, and it's it's pretty cool to see them actually have products on the network. Um, so that's like one side of water management. I think the other side of water management was another company recently uh, that we um, sort of talked about um, called uh, called Green Metrics. And, and what they're doing is uh, having sensors and uh, in, in golf courses to help sort of manage the amount of water that's needed to maintain these golf courses. You know, golf courses um, require a tremendous amount of water to, to keep all those greens like perfectly green and, and beautiful and like perfectly manicured. Um, and, you know, it's, it is really, really interesting to see a use case um, like that, where, where you're able to actually reduce the total amount of water that's needed to manage a property like that, because it, that, that sort of has an incredible impact on, on sort of global climate of that, uh, of that area. And so I think that's, that's another thing that I think is, uh, is, is sort of a really interesting use case around water. Nice. And you can extend that out to crops, to agriculture, to essential services and so on and so forth, right? The the equivalent of the leak sensor in your basement could just as easily mm -hmm. be an early warning sensor for forest fires or could be mm -hmm. a drought sensor or it could be something related to other forms of natural sensing. We don't have 
Wi-Fi devices strapped to trees in the forest, or we don't. <laughs> that, that, that's not as easy to find when you get out to sea. So the ability to put up or to have infrastructure that is low cost, available, shareable, etc., to support these IoT use cases, I think that's the the kind of the powerful accelerator we're talking about here because the cost of the IoT devices are generally getting lower and lower. The ability mm-hmm. for those devices to connect to a trustless system where the integrity of the data provided can be a- as high as you can achieve, knowing it's never going to be perfect. And 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 then the final barrier for the adoption for this is cost, right? Mm-hmm. Is the you know the the form factor of the device. You know, yes, we can we can put um, you know an NFT sensor, sorry NFC sensor, or you know, some some sort of unique low energy sensor into the bezel of a watch, and we can use that to identify the authenticity of it, or we can make the watch into a QR code, and actually have the shape of the device be something that cannot be easily replicated, um, or at least you know, the first version that has been identified, scanned and put on chain is is the canonical example. And then anything subsequently will be deemed to be a fake. These are mm-hmm. all the challenges with fidgetal type of use cases. But the one that I think most people miss out on is connectivity. And so if we're able to democratize access to connectivity, lower the price point for what is essentially commodity service, which is connectivity to the internet and make that scalable and make it easy for anybody to tap into that network and make it commercially viable for them to share some of the abundance of wi-fi that they have i know in my household with the number of devices and when i'm live streaming or whatever else it never feels like i have an abundance of wi-fi but for those (laughs) moments where you don't you know for for everybody else who's using who needs connectivity at different times a day i think this can be hugely powerful and i think it's interesting for people to realize that web3 or web3 use cases or the decentralized internet or decentralized applications are not just about the blockchains Blockchain is part of the infrastructure that sits underneath it that helps us to do accounting, tracking, reconciliation. When there are tokens involved, it helps us to do the the unit of account. Uh But in your use cases, it's devices, physical IoT devices, connectivity of those devices, the registering of those devices, and linking those to an application that may either be B2B or B2C or both. And so I love Helium because it's a great example of demonstrating multiple technologies working together, multiple exponential technologies working together to start transforming the way that we can deliver goods and services to the world. I I mean, I couldn't have said it better. I mean, I think ultimately connectivity is one of these sort of basic requirements, right? You know, being able to communicate is just so fundamental. And the fact that it's not sort of democratized all over the world, I think is a sort of failure of our society and, you know, <laughs> It's our job to fix. It's right at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs 2.0, right? Mm-hmm. Where you, you know, you have you have exactly. food, shelter, and eventually make your web to self-actualization. Then somebody scribbles at the very <laughs> base of the pyramid Wi-Fi. And <laughs> and 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 you're genuinely for for the next level of evolution of applications or of improvement that humans need to do with things in the world, whether we like it or not, it's going to involve some degree of connectivity to an internet. Or some mm-hmm. degree of technology technology that allows us to connect to other people who can observe something happening so we can automate or so we can do things in real time or so we can settle or pay faster. Those are those are the, you know, it's not moving it from physical to digital anymore. We've probably done as much of that as we're able to. The next part, as we're observing with banking and other things like that, is we've moved from expensive people to outsourced people. Then we've moved from on-premise to the cloud. 
but we've only got about 20% of workflows in the world are on cloud. So we've still got 80% mm -hmm. of the world that isn't even optimized that way. So there's a huge amount of runway for what you guys have got to work with, which, which I find hugely powerful. And, and you know, the, listen, the listeners who are kind of tuning into this, remember, it's not just about the blockchain, as much as it feel, feels a bit weird to say it on a blockchain show. <laughs> but, well, it's about what are we going to build, right? Like, what, like, what's the end product? Like, I'm at, at the end of the day, that's all I've ever really cared about in my career, which is like, what is the end product and what's the, what does it enable? Right. And that's, you know, even connectivity, as much as that's, you know, what I'm spending our my time on, you know, it should enable something better, faster, cheaper. Like, you know, some, like, if we can guarantee that sort of the, margins are, are sort of being reduced along the way. There's sort of less middlemen along the way. That's that's why permissionless networks are incredible because it sort of reduces the opportunity for middlemen um, where anyone can connect and anyone can provide connectivity. And that's that's what we're, we're here for. There we go. I'm here for it too. And on the topic of blockchains, we said we were gonna talk about the Solana migration. Let's sure. talk about the Solana migration because as you described and and very nicely articulated on the show, when we did it on LinkedIn Live, you guys were building your own protocol, your own blockchain that was geared specifically towards Helium that probably had some degree of, of properties or functionality that was really well targeted or really well suited to what you guys were doing. But you were trying to build out both a physical infrastructure and IoT digital network while also maintaining a protocol. And from having worked for organizations who build and maintain protocols, doing just one of those things is already enough. And you were doing all three. So respect <laughs> for you right. for, for, for going that distance. Talk us through the, the process of which you said, you know what, I feel like we need to do this blockchain part a different way. Yeah, it started off, or maybe to sort of roll back even further, you know, we, we started off trying to think about how we would even do this back in, in 2018 or this community thought this back in 2018. Um, and I think that, uh, and, and I say it that way because actually I joined the network as a hotspot owner, um, which is kind of an interesting approach. Like I, I wasn't part of this network since, or wasn't certainly part of the Helium project 10 years ago. Um, and, you know, I think what was interesting at the time was, you know, certainly could have done something like put a, a different kind of network on, on these devices, right? You certainly had compute, like there were Raspberry Pis running on these, on these hotspots. Um, at least at the at the start of the network, and many of the network today has like a Raspberry Pi or Rock Pi equivalent running. Um, and so, you know, having uh, a custom blockchain at the time was because it didn't make sense to run a Bitcoin miner on these things. It would have been very, very power hungry and and sort of very expensive, um, at least for for these kinds of gateways. Um, and and light nodes wouldn't have been a thing at the time. And light nodes weren't, yeah, lightning nodes weren't weren't really a thing at the time, and you know there'd been tremendous amount of effort uh, and you know kudos to that team to to be you know in the last several years building and shipping, so you know really awesome work that's happening there. You know, really quickly like Bitcoin and Helium are the only two projects that we really ever spent any, that I've ever spent any time on. So I have a tremendous amount of respect for the work that's being happening that's that's being sort of invented in Bitcoin um, and a lot of reverence for it. Um, so you know I think that. Uh, at the time, it didn't make sense for us to run Bitcoin nodes on these things, obviously. Uh, Ethereum, we saw some issues with cost over time, and like there was sort of a product misalignment. Ultimately, I think you actually 
said it well, which is, you know, there's specific things we wanted to do, like kind of application features almost of our of our network that wouldn't have really worked at scale on, on Ethereum, certainly back then, and I think still would have been fairly costly to do now. Um, and so, you know, that wasn't there. There weren't any L2s of, of note at the time, or at least not at scale, um, a lot of ideas. Um, and Solana didn't exist either, you know, neither did any of the other Altel ones or whatever they're called these days. Um, so, you know, starting and starting our own chain made sense. So we had a sort of tendermint like, um, you know, network that we, that we created. Um, so that, that was, uh, that was sort of where we started. We moved to, as I mentioned to, you know, uh, validators, a dedicated hardware for, for block validation, transaction processing, you know, things like that. Um, but even that was hitting some scaling limits and we we're just spending a lot of our time on transaction processing and blockchain uh, related things like block production related things we were distracted i think as a, as a network and and you know if there is uh one thing that i've been taught you know it, over the years of, of working for startups and, and sort of working at companies is that focus is, is so so important and you know what are we here for we're here to build wireless networks we're here to provide connectivity for people and things that's what we should be spending our time on and that's like ultimately why you know selecting a new l1 made the most sense um and so that's that's where it started like a, over a year ago um sort of the other thing actually over a year ago there's this other thing that happened which was we sort of had this concept of expanding our network not just supporting iot network networks but also supporting a cellular use case and the cellular use case is very different than the iot use case um, but we wanted to sort of keep it inside of the helium ecosystem because we felt that sort of incentive the inset the core incentive model made sense and and that's how we should build multiple kinds of networks and other ideas came up too you know what about a vpn network what about a you know uh a, there was even a talk about a cdn network um there are lots of different kinds of networks like you know data networks like ours that um you know make sense within the helium ecosystem um so we needed to scale the network itself um, both the economics of the network and also the ability to physically process data uh, and account for it and then make sure it's uh, being charged for and being rewarded. Like, so the, all of that, got, we got to a point uh, over a year ago where um, we started thinking about other chains. Like one, we started thinking about, of course, like how can we scale our own chain? And then we said, how about other chains? And you know, the Solana uh, team is been like we've been familiar with the Solana team for for a while um uh but you know really started diving in uh to, to what it might mean to to build on top of Solana um you know the advantages of that for us um were pretty varied um everything from you know something very very technical kind of wonky like key compatibility like our wallets just work on on the Solana wallet on uh, the Solana chain um and so it was actually very easy are in I say easy in a kind of in a tongue in cheek way um, to move seven hundred thousand wallets to the Solana blockchain, um, and that was the scale of our network at the time. Humble brag alert: seven hundred thousand wallets <laughs> seamlessly moved from one network to another. It's easy, guys. Don't worry about it. In about eleven hours, if if I can keep bragging, <laughs> you may. Oh, <laughs> and you know. Uh, almost a million hotspots that need to be minted as NFTs on chain. Um, and so like, that's the other side of this, right? Like, I think that um, Solana has a has particular qualities and particular features that enable that. And I think that that is, um, that was what we saw. And so that's what we proposed. And typically, you know, the 
Helium Network has tended towards um, a lot of community participation and governance. Um, you know, is it perfect suffrage, you know, perfect vote suffrage across all hotspot owners, all token holders? Absolutely not. But, you know, we have thousands, you know, six, seven, sometimes six, seven thousand different wallets that are voting with a tremendous amount of HNT stake that is voting to, you know, for and against proposals. So, you know, I think it's important for a core team to come out with very, very opinionated ideas and let that governance process run to figure out whether or not this is sort of the right direction. Um, and that's what happened. We sort of came up with this idea, which is we're going to simplify the network. We're going to support all these other kinds of networks. Um, we're going to move towards oracles for each one of these different networks so that they can sort of manage their own data in different ways. Um, and then at that point, what is the Helium blockchain doing? It's it's aggregating Oracle data. You could certainly use another chain for that. And that's where you know Solana was like sort of the, the last step of that, which is, and we're gonna do it on Solana. So let's wheel back a second, because I I think the the realization of we don't need to roll our own blockchain and actually we just we need we need block space, we need efficient and performant block space is a realization mm -hmm. I think actually a large amount of Web3 is now starting to get towards. There's some differentiation, clearly, but for the most part, for some of these decentralized apps, it is literally just, I need block space. I need it cheap and I need it mm -hmm. performant. And it may not even need to be 10,000 transactions a second performant. It may need to be <laughs> five transactions a day performant, in which case your, you sure. know, your cost point, your characteristics change. Um, was there a consideration set or was there you know some analysis that was done? How, how did you get to Solana as an option? Or how did you, how did you, you know, what was, what was the, the long list and how did you get to the short list? <laughs> Well, the long list is, is um, it feels infinite, right? <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, I think that the short list, you know, we got to the short list by just doing a um, kind of a, like here are the, here's a matrix. And I actually posted this matrix on the Helium blog um, several months ago now, I guess, uh, around the time that the, the vote happened uh, to sort of just provide that additional context. Um, but, you know, I think ultimately, you know, it was everything from safety, um, security, developer ecosystem, DeFi ecosystem, uh, uh, and developer ecosystem has some other like interesting properties like, you know, running our own L1. Every time we spoke to somebody that wanted to do asset support, um, that wanted technical support of how to implement, you know, support for HNT or the other tokens, um, they're like, oh, you're running on your own L1. Well, we're not going to really prioritize that. Whereas like if you're already in ERC20 or you're already in SPL, that conversation becomes way easier. Um, and I think that that's, um, that's, that's a surprising unlock when it, when it comes, uh, when it comes up. Um, it also, it's important for, you know, not just for like exchanges, but also for custody providers, right? You know, I think a lot of really, really, um, you know, large companies expect uh, you know, aren't going to YOLO around with wallets on their, you know, on their, on their phones or on their, uh, you know, <laughs> private keys that are sitting on paper. Um, they're going to go for qualified custodians and they want to be able to interact with these things in, in safe ways. You know, you know, especially certainly publicly traded ones are, are not going to YOLO around here. Um, so it's, it is important that there's, you know, qualified custodian support for, for things like this. And I think you only really see that with, um, with chains that, uh, that, you know, are somewhat standardized. Um, and I think that those are the kinds of things that we saw uh, in the ecosystem. And, you know, we certainly saw that um, Solana tokens um, were a good primitive 
um, you know, it takes a, an approach that's, you know, similar and, and very prescriptive like ERC-20 does. Um, uh, and I think that that is, that is something that we thought um, was important. The dev ecosystem is actually really an interesting one. Um, you know, it is, I continue to be stunned by the random dev in a Solana project that's really not very random, but like sort of randomly pings me and says, hey, yeah, we just added support for Helium. Here you go. Like it's, and it just happens like two times a week. Um, or, hey, we want to start using Helium. Like you have every hotspot on chain with a location on it. We want to use that um, for our project. Great. Like, and, and it's it just becomes so much easier that composability is, is really, really awesome. That's a nice um, build. So that's, that's a, yeah. And people, people miss that in terms of assuming that decentralized applications are just sort of standalone things that connect to a blockchain. Actually, the, the composability or the ability to pull different capabilities or features from a network where the standards are already aligned, where the, the tokens are already native to the network, where some of the source code or some of the integrations are already ready. Like you said, that where you don't have to launch an unusual token that has to go through a vetting <laughs> process for an exchange, which already has a backlog of 50,000 other meme coins and shit coins that they're already not going to list, but they still had to look at anyway, just in case it becomes the next Pepe, right? The guys are busy. <laughs> they, don't, they don't have time to deal with this stuff. And and so that that matters. But the composability part, I think, is 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 super important. It's what you're what you're creating is the ability to add ne network connectivity, IoT devices to other people's decentralized applications that may or may not have had that capability to start with, or sure as hell, in the same way that you guys didn't need to build a blockchain, they sure as hell don't need to build an IoT or connectivity network out in the world. But now they have one natively. Mm -hmm. That's right. So big, big unlock or big value add for the Solana community. I mean, I'm sure they're very grateful to have that capability. And, um, and from your perspective, it takes away a bunch of hassles. Standardization allows for acceleration. It allows for democratization of access. It reduces the cost of development or it reduces the barriers to entry. And from, from the top of that, you get more, more innovation, more stuff on top. So no one's ever going to argue that standardization and digitization led to good things for the most part. <laughs> I, I believe sure. anyway, I, I'm prepared to be proved wrong guys. Get at me in the comment section if you really want to, but, uh, <laughs> but for the time being, I think, I think that's it. And, and in terms of the, the migration itself, obviously there was, there was a token before there was a token after people who are interested in tokenomics and those sorts of things. Give us kind of the brief overview of how did the tokenomics swap work? Yeah. So, um, instead of treating it like a swap, we treated it like a database change. Um, and, and essentially like there was some data that sat on the Helium L1 that halted and that entire account state was sort of, um, like our protocol lead loves to, loves to say this word and so I'm going to steal it from Noah. Um, he turducked a blockchain into another blockchain. Wheel up, wheel up. One more time, please. <laughs> for, for Noah and for everyone else, Lind. <laughs> he turducked a blockchain. He turducked um, it. And, do you know what a turducken is? It's kind of a wild thing. It's I think it's very American as well as so I'm not is, sure. Is it a creature? Is it a person? Is it a is it a dish? <laughs> it is a dish. Um, it's when you take a. Uh, I'm gonna get the order of this wrong because I think it's atrocious personally, um, and I'm a meat eater, so you, like it's still crazy to me. But you take a a duck, you sort of open it up fully, you take the bones out, um, and then you put a turkey inside of it, 
or maybe I'm getting the order wrong and you open that up and you put, you know, you take all the bones out and you put a chicken inside of that and you wrap that whole thing back together and you bake the thing. <laughs> right. So, 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 so that, so it's, this is, this is the start of the analogy. We are putting animals inside <laughs> other animals. Question mark. Profit. <laughs> and so this, uh, I think, I think his, uh, his, his, maybe it was the worst, maybe it's the worst analogy, but no, his, uh, his idea here is that, you know, like taking state from one thing and shoving it into another thing, um, I guess, I guess it's, it's really the, the sort of <laughs> the other way to say it, you know, moving the account state of 700,000 wallets and moving, you know, almost a million ideas of this thing called a hotspot on an old chain and turning it into this concept of a, of an NFT, um, on the new chain, allowing all of that account state to be permissionlessly redeemed by the wallet holder. Like this is the process, like we move the data over, but ultimately only the wallet holder could unlock their own tokens. We were never in control of that, which I think is, uh, was, was also you know, pretty powerful. And from a user perspective, all they had to really do, and you know, 80% of our users opened up the Helium wallet app. They saw a little spinner for a day. And then at the end of it, it, um, they saw their tokens in there and it was exactly what was there, you know, when the, when the helium L1 halted. And that, I think that kind of user experience was something that we, you know, spent a lot of time on. We actually delayed the, the, the migration by another month. You know, we were prepared to do it in, in March and we moved it to April um, because we wanted to make sure that user experience was perfect. Um, because that, you know, in the, in, you know, unfortunately in our ecosystem, there are all sorts of like rugs and, you know, sort of, failed smart contract deployments and, 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 and vulnerabilities that like, we didn't want to be a party of, like we, like we have an enormous ecosystem. Most of our ecosystem is not only new to radios, but also new to crypto. Um, and, you know, for, for better or for worse, like we, uh, we sort of gave them a very, very good user experience so far. Um, and we wanted to make sure that that user experience continued on. Like that's a core tenet of our network and, and, and of, our com of our community. Love that. And thank you for explaining it. The Turducken um, reference will forever <laughs> remain in blockchain. It was, world a of a, it was a bit of a distraction, I guess. Now. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we went there. I learned something today. I, I, now, I now know what it is. And, and I now know the next time I see a blockchain migration. I will be quoting the Turducken as as a as a, as a, as a, as a method as migration methodology. Um, I also remember the the last version of this for for the OG fans who are watching the live involved a pinata, which we managed to avoid this time. So we didn't oh, we, we didn't did. have to peel back and work back whether an actual pinata was part of your migration user experience. But um, I enjoyed that one on the original. So guys, go go do check out the last fifteen minutes of the live show on LinkedIn because there's a pinata reference which I found particularly enthralling. <laughs> <laughs> with 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 a couple of minutes left on the show, I'd I'd love to get your kind of final take on everything that you've been through in terms of joining a project, you know, inflow, pivoting, being part of a team that was building its own blockchain, to then migrate, getting a network to seventy thousand cities, and you know the scale of, I think it's near half a million um, nodes that you have on the network Active now. Yep. Exactly, yep. exactly. You know, a huge network in terms of scale. What would you give in terms of advice to people looking to build applications, people looking at blockchain, IoT, and logistics and supply chain, and trying to solve problems with exponential and decentralized technology? What are some of the kind of the key things that you've learned that could help other people accelerate their journey? Yeah, I think the 
That's a that's a tough question. I mean, I think it really depends on who you are um, and kind of what you're looking for. I mean, for the for the folks who are building on the blockchain side, who are coming at it from the blockchain side, I think the the number one piece of advice I have is build something that people actually freaking want. Right? Like, um, and you know, yes, we can build like, and and I'm an I'm an engineer, and I love technical complexity, and I'm more than happy to get nerd sniped, you know, down into some deep rabbit hole around consensus or around you know these distributed systems, uh, because that's where I came from, uh, but none of that matters if you're not building a product that people care about and they're sort of solving a use case um that they you know Maslow's hierarchy is actually perfect here right like uh, think about it again i think that you know, build something that people need uh, at the lowest level of that hierarchy um and i and i think that's that's number one uh, for the folks on the blockchain side um for the folks that want to build iot products um in a way it's sort of the same uh, a thing, which is, you know, what is the product that you want? And, you know, what are the, uh, that, that you want to offer? Is it a, is it a dog tracker? Um, you know, great. Like if you're building a dog tracker, where are your customers? Are your customers in the suburbs or are they, are they in cities? You know, are your customers, you know, walking around on trails, uh, you know, wherever they are, um, all that matters. Like what's the size of your dog? Like all the, all those things matter when you're thinking about building sensors. Um, and so, you know, using a network like Helium, um, I think allows for a very, very wide set of use cases, certainly in tracking, certainly in, you know, agriculture and the smart ag and, and, and sort of water management as, as we talked about. Um, and so for those folks, it's, you know, using a network like this is a, is an alternative to, you know, very, very expensive um, cellular backhaul um, for, you know, use the thing that you need, lowest power, um, lowest bandwidth thing that you need for, for your network, for your, ultimately for your product use case that, you, that you're building on. Um, and then, you know, for the folks, uh, and those are the, like the only two parties that I know a ton about. And as far as like iteration, pivoting, I mean, I think, you know, the thing that I've learned about um, over the years, you know, being in sort of all sorts of manner of startups and companies um, is really just that being agile and being scrappy is really, really important. Shipping a product quickly is really important and getting um, doing that in a safe way is also really, really important, right? And and so you know, ultimately, you know, we're building both economic systems and physical real world systems. Um, and, you know, it is important to do that in a very, very safe way because so that, and, and very sort of widely, you have to communicate constantly. Um, and sort of managing our ecosystem is is a huge part of what we do at the, at the Helium Foundation, you know, we have 180,000 people on our Discord, and you know, hundreds of thousands of people um, that are sort of listening um, in in you know various channels that we have, um, whatever number of followers that we have on on our uh, Twitter handles. Um, I, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but like uh, these are all folks that are are out there and listening and sort of taking data to. There's one thing that I think we can continue to get better at um, uh, as a team, bringing different people information in sort of the way that they need it, not necessarily the way that you want to communicate it, right? Like no technical jargon is, is the thing that people keep reminding me to, to stop doing um, because I'll always tend towards the engineering side of my, my background, right? And, and it's something that I'm working a lot on to try to be better at. And this is something that like founders, team members should think about. It's like, who's your audience? I know, what do they actually want to build and give them the tools that they need to, to build it themselves. 
Um, and that build it themselves part is also really, really important, I think, in, in blockchain and in crypto. Love that. And the occasional reference to obscure cooking methods. But for the most part, <laughs> excellent right. and, and very helpful advice from someone who's been on a team that has pivoted a business from IoT to IoT plus blockchain, that has taken it from one blockchain to another, and that has grown a physical, digital network at the same time to huge scale. No small feat. You've achieved probably five separate challenges that most startups would be happy to achieve one of. And so congrats to you, to Noah, to the rest of the team for the hard work that you've done. And shout out to all the Heliumites out there who are listening in and, and anybody who's taken the time to listen to both the live show on LinkedIn and now this version. Again, breaking the fourth wall. Hopefully the podcast version gave you a couple of new bits of information, a couple of things that you didn't hear on the live show. This is a rarity. This is the first live follow-up recording. So this is this is a special edition. This will forever be unique. And Abai, I'm very grateful for you taking the extra hour to come back and record again. Thank you again for taking time to share your ins insights and experience with the community and wish you every success with the continued growth of the Helium Network. I really appreciate the time, Anthony, and, and, and another shot at at least fixing my mic issues this time. <laughs> Let's do it again. Um, I, I'd love to to keep this conversation going and, and for your community to, to hear more about us um, uh, over the years. Absolutely. And, you know, this time we won't have to record a third time, hopefully. So have a great night. Thanks again. Fingers crossed. <laughs> stay safe out there. Thanks, Emil. You as well. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks again for listening to the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast. As always, opinions in this episode are mine and those of my guests alone. If you want to find out more, please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Check out some of the other episodes on the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast and check out the YouTube channel also called Blockchain Won't Save the World. Stay safe out there. <laughs>